we're in the second week of a series on evangelism. I'll dive right in. If you remember from last week, I put up on the screen some reasons. We do this at the beginning of every series. Why would we spend five, six weeks doing anything? Um, we have to justify the time that we steward for God and why we would spend it on this topic. So if you remember from last week, I said, I think evangelism is an important mandate. I think it's something that our group does not do very well. It's not one of our strengths. So this is specifically for our group. We saw last week that we're often troubled by the way evangelism is done, but then we avoid it altogether. That's one of the reasons I want to highlight this series. We're concerned about causing offense to others, and sometimes we just feel like we're not prepared for evangelism. So last week, if you remember, what we did was we highlighted three different experiences in evangelism. We put them up on the screen, we watched the videos, and then we critiqued them. And i got to tell you, I actually enjoyed editing last week's talk. It'll be up on the website pretty soon. It was a lot of fun to go back and listen to every one of the comments that was made. Last week was wildly interactive. We had a lot of comments from you guys, and I think a lot of ideas came out, too many to even capture uh, in one night. I started writing them down as I was editing some of the stuff that we're going to be covering in this series that came from your feedback last week. We also did this last week. We gave you a survey to start off our series like we do a lot of times to get some interactive feedback back from you right from the start. We asked you to rank, put these in priority between one and five. You know, if Exodus... <laughs> If Exodus was to pick the presidential candidate every year, it would be a runoff every single time. <laughs> there is so much diversity and so much wrestling that goes on in this room when we do our talks that everyone is all over the map. So every time we ask you to prioritize something or to pick something, it always comes out like a flat bar pretty much across. So at least by a smidge, you said that worship was the first priority, then community, then evangelism, then prayer, and finally discipleship last. We asked you a couple other questions, too, about your personal experience with evangelism. Here's one of them. In the last six months, how many conversations have you had with somebody who's not a Christian about Christ, specifically? Saw that the majority of people are zero to two, three to five, some people six to ten different times in six months. So that was kind of, there was some good activity there. We also asked, during the last two years, how many people outside of Christianity have you helped draw closer to Christ? You see that the people saying zero to two times kind of growing in percentage, three to five times. So the bulk of people are somewhere under five. In fact, that's probably like 80% of the people in that category. In the last two years, how many times have you invited somebody to maybe read the Bible or to explore it with you or with others in a group? Uh, again, zero to two group grows even higher as a percentage. And a few people three to five times in the last two years, most of the rest, none. Finally, the last question we asked on that survey was, during the last two years, how many people outside of Christianity have you discipled? Most everybody in the zero to two. Now, I told you last week, this wasn't meant to create any judgment. It wasn't meant to really be scientific. It was meant to just ask you to think about it for a moment, because we don't often ask ourselves the question to actually say, how many times have I actually done this? By the way, I'm not endorsing these things as the only things we can do. It's just a question to get us started thinking about what we are and what we aren't doing, okay? Here's what I want to do tonight. As I listened to all the comments that were made last week, and I went back and listened to them a second time as we edited last week's talk, 
I started to note some observations and assumptions that I want to draw tonight. And I want to tell you where we're going with this series. Tonight I want to pull out some observations and assumptions and just so that you can identify them. Next week, I've asked Morgan to kind of give us his view on the importance of evangelism and why it is that we need to be people who take evangelism seriously. Then, the following week, Jeremy is going to spend some time talking about, does evangelism work? Is there any evidence that it really produces anything, all these street evangelism exercises that we looked at? What's the result of it? And what about the alternatives? And how do they do as alternatives to street evangelism? So we're kind of spending most of our series not doing a how do we evangelize, but mostly spending our time thinking about why aren't we, and is there anything that we can pick up as an observation or an assumption to help us? All right, here's a couple things from last week, and I, if you want to stop anytime, you know you're allowed to, to question some of these. Here's some things that I noticed that we did as I heard all of your feedback and wrote it down last week. First, nobody objected to the idea that evangelism was a mandate. I didn't hear any objections to that, and I don't know if there is any. The reason I use the word mandate is because it comes from the Great Commission itself. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, so that on the basis of all the authority that's been given to him, he's making a command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the ends of the age. That's why I think it's a mandate. I didn't hear any disagreement from anybody on this one. Anyone disagree now? Because it seemed everybody bought off on the idea and said, okay, maybe what we really have a problem with is the way it's done. I seem to pick that up, and that was pretty obvious, not like I found some astute observation. Most of us seem to have a problem with the way evangelism was done, but nobody raised their hand and said, we should not be evangelizing at all. All right, that sounds pretty obvious, but the reason I'm going to make that as astute observation as it is, is because we need to understand what the implication means. The evangelists we watched last week had certain assumptions, and I want you to pay attention to those assumptions, and we're going to talk about what they are. First, it seemed like everybody we watched believed that salvation was the equivalent of getting into heaven, and there were people in this group that seemed to disagree with that. How many people believe the statement, salvation means getting into heaven? Well, that, that's definitely one convention of it, because if, if you consider that heaven is being in the presence of God um, eternally, then that is like one of the biggest things about salvation, is that it's bringing people back into the presence of God. What's wrong with just saying salvation is getting into heaven? It implies there's no difference in life now. Because the idea of God is present here as well, so now of course heaven is going to be a different type of maybe the way we relate to God and, and maybe face to face, but... Um, Clearly, there should be God's present now, and so salvation is being reconciled to God now, and that it would, and so we would we should see freedom from sin here. Uh, we should see um, life change and, and, and mission and purpose and, and different things that have effects to now. So the biggest problem with that is this otherworldly. That's it. That's all salvation is about is another world where yes, that's partially true, but it should affect us here and now, and it should save us from certain things here and now. Help us to live a life that is uh, glorifying to God and, and loving our neighbor as ourselves and things like that. Okay, anyone else? Yeah. I think it's missing half. Salvation is getting into heaven and also there, it's rescue from 
hell or consequences of sin. I think that makes it a lot more significant than just when you, it's like, it almost seems like if you just say salvation is getting into heaven, it's like, okay, the choice is earth or heaven. It's like, it doesn't include that element of there's something worse if God is not in your life. How about if we phrase it this way? Salvation includes getting into heaven. Does that make you feel more comfortable? Somebody has stated it a different way. Salvation is at least getting into heaven, but so much more. Maybe you would agree with that. The reason this is important is because this statement kept being made last week, and some of you picked up on it. Remember this statement? One of the individuals who was speaking outside the courthouse made this quote. He said, God sent his son to hang upon a cross and shed his blood that you might have eternal life. But is that the only reason Jesus came? So if I read this, it's saying that God sent his son so he could hang on a cross. That was the purpose. That may be central to the purpose, may be very important to the purpose, but it seems to imply that was the only purpose. And it's that so that you might have eternal life. That's the only reason that he hung on the cross. It's the only reason he came. It's the only reason he was sent. So I think that some of you are starting to identify that that seems to be too narrow seems to be like half of the equation. Here's another assumption we identified last week. It seemed like for most people, time was of the essence. Like time was running out. Like that seemed to propel some of the people that, you remember the one girl that was talking to the blonde girl? Like, you gotta do it tonight. You don't know what's gonna happen. You can get hit by a bus tonight. It could happen any time. Like there was an urgency based on time running out. The death could come at any moment. Same thing with Ray Comfort doing that in front of the courthouse steps. He was doing the same thing. He was trying to really push the idea that we don't know when it's going to happen, all right? So we identified that as an assumption that's going on, is that it is important. Does anyone disagree, though? How many parables does Jesus tell about people being caught unaware by the fact that time has run out and they don't realize it? So even though we identify this assumption, I'm not raising it to critique it as much as I'm saying none of us really considered it much. I mean, it was there. They seemed to be very motivated by the urgency. The Bible seems to have quite a bit of discussion about urgency, and I want to point out that seems to be something we're not considering. Uh, I would agree definitely that time is running out, that death can come at any moment, not just like his second coming, which is imminent, but also death at any moment. But I would say that the, the worst assumption in this, rather than that time is running out and that's something that we might have to think about, is that saying the prayer is what you have to do right now. Um, if saying the prayer is, like basically, if, if salvation is getting into heaven and that's it, like he said, fire insurance, then saying the prayer is all you have to do before death comes or before Christ comes again, then I think, I think that's the worst assumption. That one young lady could have, she could have definitely feigned saying the prayer. And then she could, the other one, the evangelist, could have gone home thinking, all right, she's saved. Time is okay now. It's on her side now. She can just spend time knowing God now. But I, I feel like that prayer is the worst assumption. Yes. I agree with you, and I think it's really difficult for me to tell, especially watching those videos. It's difficult to tell the difference between um, someone who was evangelizing because they felt this urgency on behalf of the person, running out of time, needing to do it now, 
or whether they felt like, I need to add this tally mark to my name and be successful in converting this person so that I can feel good and so that I can feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I think that might be kind of difficult for other people to take. Like, well, do you really care about me because it doesn't seem like you do? You're probably just trying to push something onto me so that you can feel good about yourself. Okay, Phil? I think taking that perspective very much ties into even this idea of salvation equals getting into heaven, that it, like that that's all there is. And like Morgan said, that it doesn't change your life. And so I think that's a very dangerous perspective for even someone who does choose to also believe this, to be like, oh, I thought time was running out. Like, I did what I needed to do. The whole idea is that it should be something that's changing your life and how you're living. Like, I, I don't know, like, it takes a very different perspective of, okay, well, I just need to do something before time runs out. Uh, yeah, it just takes the wrong perspective. Okay, Ryan? I think um, when Paul talks about Jesus coming back, the second coming, and he lived his life like he was going to come back tomorrow, he lived his life like he was going to come back soon, and Jesus often talks about, I'm going to come back, so tend to my sheep, be fishers of men. I think it's not necessarily focusing on the actual person. Like, you need to be saved, you need to be saved now, you need to do this, you need to do this, but it's more a turnaround on us saying we need to be doing things because Christ is going to come back. Like we need to be helping people and loving people and you know ministering to people. So it's more about in our hearts to act upon what the Lord wants us to do than to look at someone else and say, you need to do this because time is running out. Okay. Kind of like the bumper sticker, like Jesus is coming soon, look busy. You know that one? So, <laughs> Let me ask this. Let's make it personal. Let's make it personal. How many people in here believe that Without Jesus Christ, you can get into heaven. Anyone? One? Two? Okay. Do you mean without Christ did on the cross for us that we can't get into heaven? Or without us saying the words, I believe in you, Christ? Or without actually turning our lives to following him? I'm, let me just say it as without faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to define it as if you say a prayer or don't say a prayer. I mean, just somehow it's just judge genuine, whatever it is. So some people believe you can do it without. Because the whole premise of evangelism is based on the idea that people at least need to have a relationship with Jesus, and I want to know where some of you stand. For the majority of you who didn't raise your hand, let me ask you another question. Do you sense any urgency in telling people about Christ and having them enter into a relationship with Christ? How many people feel a sense of urgency? No one. Yes. Yeah, I think that the tragedy is missing out on a life with God involved in it and missing out on the richness that having God in your life can provide. So there's a sense of urgency and that I think every person should experience a relationship with God because I think that that's part of why we were created was to worship and be in a relationship with God. So losing that time with him while we're still alive and on earth, it seems like all of this is emphasis on after what happens in death, not like what you can experience in life as a follower. I, I totally agree that's what the emphasis is. And I'm not saying that's even a valid emphasis. I'm just trying to find out where your emphasis is. Because it seems like there's some people in here who do believe that if you were to come to the end of your life and not have found faith in Christ, that the afterlife would be very bad for you. There are people who believe that in here. Not, maybe not you, but there are people who believe that in here. And what I want to know is from those people, is there any sense of urgency 
to bringing other people into the same relationship that you have. Soren. Well, I was going to say in, in comment to that, that I think, I think when you look like in the big picture of like how small this life is compared to eternal life, like it's important and like it's valuable and full of life with God is like on earth. I think it's so minuscule next to spending eternity with God. Okay, so where's the sense of urgency? Anyone have it? I don't, I don't know if that evangelism even works unless you enter into like a relationship with somebody. Because like I don't even see how like a one day or one hour with someone even makes them a Christian. It, I mean, for me personally, it might work. I'm not sure. Notice I'm, notice I'm not answering how. I'm not talking about saying a prayer. I haven't even mentioned the word prayer. I don't care how you evangelize. I don't care if you do it in a relationship. I don't care if you just do good works. I don't care if you just pray through them. I don't care if you do a rain dance. I don't care. <laughs> what I'm saying is, for those people who believe that somehow getting somebody to a relationship with Christ, however you do that, is important to their afterlife, if you believe that, some of you don't, but if you believe that, why is there no sense of urgency like some of these people who are standing up using their method? I'm not even endorsing their method. But they certainly at least have a sense of urgency for some reason. Um, I think that everybody's different to some degree. And so like my thought is that it's not an issue of urgency. For me, it's a lack of full belief in those things. Um, that I believe them, but maybe not enough to feel a huge sense of urgency to be doing it. Can you clarify what those things are that you don't believe in? Um, I'm not necessarily fully convinced or fully, like, that I, I know every aspect of it enough that I'm able to say, like, confidently, yeah, like, I'm going to bring someone else alongside this, or I feel an urgency to do. Okay, and let me comment on that. That's exactly what I'm looking for is, I just believe that that's one of the reasons that people are not motivated to dive into it, is because there's some part of it where they either aren't fully bought in on it, not really sure about it, or they're unclear about something. That's fine. That's what I'm actually trying to dig out. Anyone else? Dan. My lack of urgency comes from the fact that I believe that most, most or all of the people who are important to me and that I love in my life either already have heard about this and haven't made a choice, but once they know, like it's out of my hands anyways, or it seems to me that they already have salvation. So I don't feel a sense of urgency to tell people who are important to me about this because they've already heard it. And I don't know a lot of people who haven't heard it, and so I don't feel a need to go out and do that. That's good. I'm going to come back to that assumption. Sure. Let me press forward just a little bit more. One of the things that you might have caught, and one person made the comment last week, but you might not have caught it, is there seems to be this connection between the churches that believe that the end is coming, the people who believe that the end times are upon us and who spend a lot of their times obsessing to kind of read the tea leaves and figure out when it's going to be, and the churches that are out there evangelizing. But it makes sense if you think about it. If they really think the end is coming, they see it very much like Jesus when he said, it'll be like in the days of Noah. You know, there'll be like, he made an analogy like, nobody believed Noah, and then all of a sudden the floods came, and then everybody believed him, but it was too late. These people see that example and use it all the time. It's going to be like that. We're out there trying to tell you before it comes. It's coming, but you guys aren't listening, and then it'll be too late by the time you hear you can hear that assumption, and you can hear that strain in a lot of that evangelism. Again, I'm not pointing it out to say we should adopt it. I'm just pointing it out to say we're not doing anything. So there must be a reason that we don't buy that, but what do we buy? 
I heard this come across last week, which is believing in Jesus is easy. The one girl trying to sell Jesus was like, it's so easy, it's so easy, it's so easy. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, all you have to do is believe in him. Is that all we have to do? You know, if all we had to do was believe in him, then I think that Jesus would have prayed the sinner's prayer a couple of times and left, right? <laughs> Modeled it. He would have said, Lord, how should we pray? And he'd say, this is how you should pray. I'm a sinner, right? Like he didn't start, that wasn't the prayer he gave us. In fact, we don't have a recording of anything close to the sinner's prayer. And then you have Jesus who says some very difficult things, like why even do the Sermon on the Mount if that's all we have to do is believe in him? In fact, if you listen carefully, I heard this statement. He's a sweet little innocent lamb. That's what you need to adopt, she said. He's a sweet little innocent lamb. Yes. I think the statements from that, I think it goes back to some of their urgency because in that, I think they're, they're willing to say just about anything. Because if you think it's about some prayer, which it doesn't sound like any of us <laughs> agree with that, but if you do, then there becomes this, this obsession to say, all right, I, I've got to be able to say, I've got to make Jesus as appealing as possible, where Jesus does all kinds of things like saying, well, this is clearly the narrow road, actually, and you have to pick up your cross and die to follow me. And even when you go back to what you're saying with the Great Commission, it's to make disciples, right? And so if, if, you make, <laughs> if you're forgetting the make disciples, like what does that mean to make disciples? And that shapes evangelism in a different way. Um, but I also think, back to what Monique had said just real briefly, is I actually don't think you necessarily have to have a relationship to evangelize. Cause, and we're going to see this next week in the book of Acts. Like that's not true. Um, I do think that it's quite significant to have a relationship, and I'm extremely big on that, but to say that you would have to know someone before someone can come to faith, I, I disagree with that. Two comments of what Morgan says. Let's remember the Great Commission says to make disciples, teaching them to obey. We always forget that word. Like It's not just even just to teach people, but to, to make disciples who actually obey Christ's teachings. Let's keep that in mind. And off of his comment, just a question. Is there anybody in this room? I mean, he asked the question, but we don't really know. Is there anybody in this room who believes that if you just say the prayer that you're saved? Anybody believe that? Raise your hand. Wow. Not one person? I heard Monique say this is so frustrating. It's supposed to be for a while. You know, you know that we're not going to get to any resolution for a couple of weeks. This is meant to expand your mind, not give you pat answers. I also saw that we also made some assumptions. I noticed that we had some in this room, and I want to identify them for you so that you can catch some of your own assumptions. By the way, some of them, or all of them, might be valid, but you should at least know what they are. Here was an assumption a lot of people made. It would be more powerful to serve people than to speak to them. I even heard the specific one was, it'd be more powerful to just serve those people breakfast rather than preach to them. So we have that assumption. We should identify it. Maybe not everybody agrees, but it seemed like the tenor of the conversation was like, there's better ways to do it than to speak to them. I think next week Morgan's going to talk to that. We need to specifically address that assumption. Is it true that if we just serve people, that they're just going to come to whatever it is that this relationship with Jesus is supposed to be about? Here's another assumption. Telling a testimony conveys more information and is more effective. Okay, that was an assumption that some of us had. Like, well, if they would just tell their personal story, if they would do a testimony, it would be better than just reciting a bunch of statements all linked together with a bunch of verses that they don't understand. Okay? That's an assumption, I think, that was there. Here's another one. Everyone already knows about salvation. Everybody already knows John 3.16. This one I'm going to pause just for a moment and say, I'm really divided on this one. 
You know, most people in our society don't even know who the vice president is, right? Most people in our society don't know much about anything. So to assume that they already know about salvation in John 3.16 or that they even know how it all works together. I mean, you saw they were interviewing that one guy, you know, who was at the amusement park. I mean, that guy could barely put three words together, right? How could we assume that everybody already knows? Now, I know we have that assumption, like, ah, oh, everybody's already heard it. They already know. It's like, well, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure that people in this country know much about anything. Here's another assumption that was made. If we focus too much on the method of evangelism, we're taking matters into our own hands and we're not relying on the Holy Spirit. Almost as if to say to make a plan to be wise stewards, to do something carefully thought out, would be too much in our hands. We need to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. We will talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. But I think that one assumption we should be a little careful of is to think that if we're somehow thinking through what we're doing, that we're violating some rule of not letting God be God. I mean, I think he did allow us to steward the gospel. The Great Commission is for us. We're the ones that are supposed to take it. I think it wouldn't be bad for us to talk amongst ourselves to figure out what might be the best way to do it. Evangelism is often condescending, offensive, and lacks humility. That seemed to be something a lot of people feel. How many people feel like last week's examples of evangelism might be condescending, offensive, or lacking in humility? Okay, maybe at least a majority. How many people just feel, not last week's, but just any type of way to share your faith would be condescending, offensive, and lacking humility? Okay, so you at least believe there are ways to do it. Okay. Last assumption is that evangelism works best in the context of relationships. We all seem to share that from the comments last week, and I think we have to evaluate whether that's true or not. But that's kind of where we came out of. So I wanted to show you what we critiqued and also what we came out of. One thing I have not done so far is given you kind of my observations, right? Just a couple more that I have. We all seem to have a lot of strong objections about the way evangelism is done, but I haven't really heard them on biblical bases. So far, all the objections I've heard, if I were to be fair and critique what I've heard, is just because we don't like the method or because we're uncomfortable, or because we think it's not ethical, or because we think it's <coughs> condescending, or because we have a problem with it. I haven't heard anybody articulate yet a real strong, like, I'm not so sure that's the biblical reason that we shouldn't be doing that, if you could do that. I'm just saying that so far it seems that a lot of it comes from personal taste. Philip. Well, I, I know this wasn't like mentioned directly by anyone like biblically, but I think a lot of even saying, oh, this is, feels condescending, or this feels offensive, or this just feels like insensitive. Like, there's some degree to which we're supposed to, well, we're supposed to be loving other people, and those aren't loving other people. And so, like, that is a biblical reason, I think, to at least, not necessarily how to do evangelism, but at least as an objection to that way, like, that this is not a loving way to share truth. I knew this comment was sort of controversy. Sorry? Well, I was going to say, in response to Phil, like, I mean, even though Jesus always did it lovingly, I mean, if you really look at it, he was very offensive in many of the ways he spoke to people or evangelized. And it was very in your face and very uncomfortable. We're going to have to resolve that tension because there's people who say you can speak the truth in love, right? And we're commanded to do so. And there's other people who remember that the rich young ruler walked away and Jesus just let him go because he said, this is the way. You either do it this way or you don't do it at all. And he didn't try to soften it or give it to him in a way he could digest it or say, let's do it over time. He's just like, this is the line, and you're over here, and you need to be over here. For example, some of you were really just thinking, I don't believe that street evangelism works at all. Next week, I hope that Morgan will cover what happens in the book of Acts. Seems like it worked fine in some cases. 
seemed like actually the Holy Spirit prompted people to do the very thing that we're criticizing. So it's at least something that we should point out. Jeremy. Whenever we're talking about biblical text, though, it might be a matter of cultural context as well. It's, it, the way that Jesus engaged people, I don't necessarily know was uncommon for a rabbi to do, at least. It doesn't seem that people took offense to how he did it. They took offense to what he said, specifically being God. So it's not like they put him up on the cross for being a mean guy who wasn't very friendly. I mean, I think if you were in these, I mean, if you were a disciple of a specific rabbi, I mean, there was a certain way in which you would engage. And much will be the same, at least I think, when we're talking about Peter in the early church. I mean, there's a certain, there's a certain cultural expectation that goes on there too. And so I think we do have to take into account what we expect in our culture and our society. Like, there are rules in our society, just as there were rules in their society, and they may, in fact, be different. Okay. Morgan, you got a tough job next week. Let me press forward. I think we've used our objection to the methods of evangelism as a reason not to evangelize at all. I think it's something we should be aware of. I think that a lot of us are throwing up objections to the methods, and it's our way of rationalizing not participating in it at all. That's part of the reason we're doing the series, is I think that that's underlying a lot of the reason that our group is not doing much in that area. Now the last one is, I think everybody in this room is already a great evangelist. We hardly can hold in the good news, and we're constantly telling everybody about it who's around us. Like, what? <laughs> like all of you are like looking at me like, what are you talking about? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I haven't defined evangelism yet in this series. Our word evangelism just comes from a transliterated Greek word. It just means to tell the good news. An evangelist literally was somebody who brought you good news. So that's what we get, being somebody who proclaims good news. In fact, you guys all know this. Probably the first thing you ever learned is that gospel really comes from Old English words that also mean good news. So what we're talking about is the good news. It was very popular when I was younger. Did I have everybody walk around going, Has, have they heard the good news, the good news? Everything was about the good news. They used to have the good news Bible. It was the one that was kind of written in like, you know, gang language or something that they would pass out to people. Probably the worst translation the Bible ever created. Very close to the good times Bible, which Ryan and I are publishing together, filled with all sorts of paraphrases and bad quotations. But, but no, that was the good news Bible. Now, why do I say you're already a great evangelist? You know, the thing is, I always am shocked by the fact that it doesn't take much from us to do the things that are natural, and it takes so much effort for the things that we resist. If you go see a good movie, I'm going to hear about it. I'm probably going to hear about it on Facebook first. I'm probably going to hear about it while you're in the movie. We're an avatar, it's so cool. Right? <laughs> but you're going to tell me about it, in fact, if you listen to product gurus, they're always looking for evangelists. There was a lot of people in technology who were always looking for tech evangelists who are going to spread the word and tell everybody about the good news. If you go to a great restaurant and you eat some awesome food, I'm going to hear about it. In fact, I can't stop you from telling me about it. You're not going to feel like you're condescending. You're not going to feel like you're prideful. You're not going to feel like you're offending me. You're going to go, like, I went to the best Chinese restaurant. This place is so awesome. You're going to love it. you got to go. And you're going to try to convince me to go. You're going to try to convince me that my life is not complete without going to your Chinese restaurant. <laughs> Every one of us is already an evangelist in some way. If you just define evangelist as bringing good news, we're always telling each other good news. 
So the question we have to ask ourselves is like, why is it so hard to share the good news with a capital G and a capital N? Why are there thousands of books about how to share something about Christ? If Christ were as exciting as your Chinese restaurant, you would be telling me about him, wouldn't you? If your life and your relationship with God was so vital to everything you were doing, well, I wouldn't be having to tell you about how we do evangelism. We wouldn't be debating it. When you ask this question, why is it so hard for us to share this particular good news? Maybe we're not excited about our relationship with Christ. As much as we are about seeing Avatar in 3D and telling everybody on Facebook about it while you're in the movie. How do you text while you have the glasses on? I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe we're not excited about being in this relationship. I mean, I'm not saying that just lightly. I'm saying, can we sit for a moment and evaluate, are we really that excited about this relationship? I mean, if you think that life with Christ is more than just getting into heaven, that it's like a life that begins now, the life fulfilled, life to the full, then let's tell people about that. We don't have to mention heaven. That'll just be a bonus they'll find out about, get all surprised at the end. <laughs> but I don't even see us doing that. Or maybe it's because he hasn't really impacted our life. Not in a way that's compelling enough to run out and tell everybody about it, like the Chinese restaurant or like Avatar, like whatever it is that we're seeing, doing, watching, thinking about, like a television show. I mean, just sit with people long enough. They'll start talking about their favorite shows and sharing information. Oh, you got to see it. It's a great show. You're going to love it. you got to see this. Maybe he's not impacting our life. Maybe we're not so changed that it matters. Maybe we don't really care about other people enough. Maybe we don't love them enough to invite them into this exciting relationship. I mean, maybe your relationship is totally exciting. Maybe you love it, but you just don't really care if anybody else is in it because you're in it. I'm asking myself the same thing. Like, why is it that I'm not so excited that I want to tell other people and invite them in? Or why is it that I'm so busy that I don't even have time for other people to invite them into this relationship because I'm just too busy doing things that are important to me? It could be finally that we just don't understand God's role or maybe our role and how the whole thing works. Maybe we've confused the roles. Maybe we don't really even, we've kind of ground, ground to a halt. Like we see methods we don't like, but we don't have any that we really understand. Maybe our understanding of evangelism brings us that place. Monique. I don't know that it's like fair to even make it that simple to be like, Oh, I'll tell you about this restaurant because I'm so excited about it, blah, blah, blah. And like to compare that to evangelism because it's not like we're saying, hey, try this great Greek restaurant that I ate at. And by the way, once you eat there, you can never eat at any other restaurant ever again. You can only go to that one because that's the only one true, like, way to da da Like, you have to eat there every day. And like, and if you don't go to this Greek restaurant, like, you're wrong and these horrible things are going to happen to you. Like, I don't want you marketing my restaurant no matter what. <laughs> like, we need a totally different ad campaign than that. I actually think if we go a step deeper, it's because we won't offend anybody if we talk about a restaurant. That's really what's going on. We're scared to talk about something that might offend people. Like, if it was true in some crazy universe we created that there was only one true restaurant, and it was the Greek restaurant you described, and going anywhere else is going to kill you within a year, let's just assume in this crazy universe that that was true, and you had to go up to people and say, listen, I know you love other food, but if you don't go to this restaurant and eat there every day, you will die. Would you do it? Okay, last comments were closing up. Yep. Um, 
that you were right when you said that we're afraid of like offending somebody. Be telling somebody that, oh hey, like Avatar was a wonderful movie. You don't it's very like a surface shallow conversation about a movie, you know, you'll forget about it within a month and a better movie will come out next year. While talking about a relationship with Christ, you're not only exposing your personal life, but you're delving into theirs also. And people don't like feeling vulnerable. And I think that bringing up Christ, we don't want to offend people. So it's not only that you don't want to hurt them, but you don't want to hurt yourself either. Okay. Right? I think in some ways in our culture in America we've been raised that like offending someone is the worst thing ever and you don't do it like in nursing school right now. I'm barely two weeks in and we're already talking about the ethics of what you can and cannot say to people as Christian nurses, what we can and cannot say to people in the hospital because of the laws that are there surrounding and I understand that those laws were there so as to prevent hate crimes and people hating each other which I think is good. But at the same time I think it's kind of built into our culture and the way we're raised is not to offend people and think overcoming that can be huge. Yeah, look, Jesus offended people till they killed him. Paul offended people till they threw him in jail. He kept writing. He didn't stop till they killed him. I mean, just pointing it out, Brian. If you are an evangelist or you are sharing about Christ, like, you know, if you don't want to listen to it, then I'm not going to force it on you. It's one of those things to where you still build that relationship, um, you know, until you can maybe get to that point. But I think that. You know, there's a difference between people that want to hear and you could present it and say, hey, this is the good news. This is what I have. And if they go, oh, whatever, I don't want to hear about it. You know, it's not like, you know, he called the disciples to shake the dust off their feet and move on. A real relationship with people, and some of you believe in a relationship evangelism, a real relationship with people continues whether they reject it or not, right? That's real relationship. There have been people that have traveled to this group for eight years who have never come to a relationship with Christ, but they're still here and we welcome them in this relationship. That's a relationship. Like it, it recognizes that, yes, I would love certain things for you, just like they would love certain things for me to change, right? But we're in this together because we like each other and we're friends and we love each other. And, and yes, it would be great if you come to accept Christ. Right? I think that's real, so I think that's a good call out to make. You want the last comment tonight? Is it about a restaurant? No? <laughs> we're talking about like being offensive and like people being afraid to offend in evangelism or whatever that there is a difference between like the truth itself like the things that Christ spoke without shame and as truth offended people and is offensive when you realize you're wrong it's going to offend you if you realize you're lacking something if you're pointing out something doesn't have someone doesn't have or they need or a fault or whatever it might be when you point a truth out about someone that's kind of like whoa I've been doing this wrong I need to change my life like that stirs up sometimes like an emotion that feels like it's like an offense. Okay, that's different when truth like brings to light something that can make you feel uncomfortable as opposed to holding up a sign that says like God hates gays or like, you know what I mean? Like there's a difference. Like to say like Jesus was like he offended people. Like I just think we need to remember like the context and the why. Okay. Let's close up. Let me tell you this. This is a rough night for me personally. I mean, I do believe that relationships are a key way to bring people to know Christ. I do believe that if you don't know Christ, that at judgment it's going to be very bad for you. I do believe that. I believe that very strongly. I believe that we should be making more efforts to introduce people to a relationship with Christ. I do believe it begins in this life now. I also agree with Soren that this life is insignificant compared to what's going to come, but that God believed it was significant enough to create it in the first place and put us here, so there's a reason for it. Then he wants a life to begin now, not later. And that 
most of Jesus' ministry was focused on things that were happening now with the assurance of something that was even greater to come later, but that our focus was to be on getting ready for what's happening now. Love God and love others now, not wait. But the reason I say it's rough for me is even as I articulate what I believe in front of people who proclaim to follow Christ, I have to be careful with my words. And I check myself on that and go, what's wrong with me? Why is it so hard to proclaim things that are truthful? And if I can't proclaim them loud and clear in this room, how are we going to do that with other people? And that seems to be the thing that's stifling us from being people who reach out to others. Now, there's other things going on, like some of us aren't sure what we would do if we did reach out to them, or if it would do any good. And we're going to be talking about those things for the next couple of weeks. But I wanted to finally bring out these assumptions a little bit to show you that there's a lot of stuff going on underneath the surface that unless we bring it out, our talk on evangelism will just be another, here's how to do it. We're not doing that. It's more about why is it important and what's preventing us and what's underneath that we haven't really dealt with. What's preventing us from reaching others for Christ? Let's pray and close up. Holy Spirit, this is clearly your domain. Throughout Scripture, we see that when you come upon people, evangelism occurs. Lord, you call people to yourself, and then you indwell us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that means that we need to be changed from the inside, that our outside efforts are not going to be enough, that just convincing ourselves that this is something that we should be doing is not going to be enough. Holy Spirit changes from the inside. Maybe that means boldness. Maybe that means more love. Maybe that means more excitement for who you are. Maybe that means more adoration, more worship. Maybe, Lord, we just need to be contagious. Maybe we just need to be so excited about who we are that we can't contain it anymore. But, Lord, whatever it is, we need your help for sure. So, Holy Spirit, help us, even if it means to undertake disciplines for you to transform us from the inside, to be more and more like you. Pray this in your name. Amen.